Lord, we thank you for another chance to come before your word. Lord, we ask that you may speak to us. Lord, give us attentive ears, attentive hearts. Lord, we pray that we may not just be curious about the end times, but we may be able to respond and really be able to be rooted in you and grow in light of all the things that are happening in the world. So, Lord, we pray that you help us. Lord, it's uh, been a long day. Lord, we pray that you may strengthen us physically. And, Lord, so that we can um, really hear what you want to say to us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So what I've been assigned to share this afternoon is, is this matter of being uh, rooted and built up in light of the end times. Now let me ask a question. How, uh, who tells us that we're in the end times? I mean, what tells you that we're in the end times? Anybody? Earthquakes? Tsunamis, okay. What else? How do you know we're in the end times? The Bible tells us. What, though? What tells us we're in the end times? War in the Middle East. Okay, war in the Middle East. But, but there have been wars in the Middle East for a long time. So, what else? I mean, you know, it's part of it. The word. Anybody can give me more specifics? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I, and I think uh, I think that that's why um, uh, our brother Lucy shared this morning. It's important for us to be grounded in the Word, for us to really understand. You know, are we really in the end times? Do we have? You know, does the world have another thousand years? Five, five fifty years? 200 years, how do we know we're in the end times? And the, the purpose of this afternoon, hopefully, is to help us um, to start thinking about that and to see what the Bible tells us about the end times. Um, so before we, we start, you know, I'd like to read uh, just a few portions. One is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anyone, anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overcome, overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as helmet and the hope of salvation. And this next verse is very important. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, verse 3, sorry. Revelation 1 verse 3. 
Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Um, So I asked the question, you know, how do we know that we're in the end times? And, uh, you know, there were certain answers, you know, we have earthquakes, tsunamis, and actually many things that are occurring around the world remind us of probably what we've read in the Bible, but also read in the book of Revelation. Um, Recently, we just had the tsunami in Japan. And if you read the verse that we just read about um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where it talks about everything seems to be peaceful and quiet, and then all of a sudden, boom, it hits them. And if any of you have seen the videos of the tsunami that hit Japan, it was out of nowhere. It just came and hit them. And before you knew it, um, you know, estimates of 18,000 people died. There are still probably as many that are missing. So all of a sudden, it just came and destruction came upon them. So what we want to do is try to put a perspective of these things that are happening. The other stories that we hear about is all the uprisings in the Middle East, right? It started with Egypt. Then we heard about Libya and heard about Syria. What does all of this have to do with the will of God? And not too long ago, right, the big thing was about the Iraqi war. Does that have anything to do with the Bible? Anything that puts things in perspective? So, um, in going through the Bible, um, I think it's important for us to realize um, that all of this, there is something behind. And uh, I just want to bring you to one more verse, and that is in Genesis chapter uh, 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this is just a verse I'd like you to keep in the back of your mind. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, and this is after man had sinned. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, which is Satan, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So we know that in the gospel, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it talks about the fall of man. But after the fall of man, it also talks about, from that point on, God started the work of recovery. And God eventually would send His Son to die on the cross for us, to redeem us, and to bring us back into fellowship with Him. So, you see here in the book of Genesis, it talks about this battle that's going to be raging between Satan and man, right? And that somehow, through man, God was going to recover His work. So, there's been a battle through the ages, right? started a long time ago when Satan rebelled against God. And this battle is going to rage for... has been raging and will continue to the end of time. So just have this in the back of your mind. So, um, how do we know it's the end times? Actually, the disciples had the same question. And they came and they asked the Lord. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 24, so we'll hear about what the Lord says about the end times. How do we know we're in the end times? And when, when is it going to actually happen? So if you read Matthew chapter 24, 
And you start from verse 1, it says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. So, we earlier someone said, well, there's wars and rumors of wars. Okay, so that's one part of it. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Okay, people talked about earthquakes, famines. But the, all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Um, and, uh, and then uh, continue verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. That's the first clue, right? The gospel is going to be preached to the ends of the earth. That's the first clue. Then the end will come. And then verse 15. This is very important. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then... Uh, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Uh, and then I'd like to uh, uh, take you to verse um, 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Okay, so uh, here you hear about this this tribulation that happens. Uh, but then the Lord goes on to say, uh, now learn from the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has put, already put tender, then you know that the summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the doors. So <clears throat> the first question the disciples asked was, the Lord made a comment and said, can you hear me still? I think uh, we lost. So the 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 first question, the, the first thing that the Lord said, you see this temple, not one stone will be upon another stone. So the first part of the disciples' question is, when is this going to happen, right? And the Lord said, this generation is not going to pass away before this actually happens. So if you read through the Bible and you look at biblical prophecy, there's usually uh, many of the prophecies have a dual fulfillment. They have a proximal fulfillment 
and they have a distal fulfillment, meaning something is something that's going to happen right away, and then, but it also points to something that's going to f- happen much further down the line. So this is exactly what the Lord was talking about. What was it that the Lord was talking about? So the Lord, uh, at the time that the Lord was uh, with his disciples, when the Lord came into this world, it was right during the rule of the Roman Empire. And uh, as history would tell us, which was about approximately 40 years after the Lord said this, in 70 AD, there was a, there was a ruler called Titus. And you can you read in history, and it's very well known. And what he did was, he actually, during the Passover, he uh, allowed all of the Jews to come celebrate Passover. He shut down the city, destroyed the city, burned down the temple, killed over a million Jews, right? So this is what the Lord was talking about. That's why he said, uh, for then, uh, he says, whoever's on the housetop, Go down to get the things that are in the house. Do not go out and get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field, don't turn back. So just run, right? And woe if you're pregnant because it's going to be terrible. So the, thankfully, the Lord actually told the disciples this. And actually, very few Christians died during that great massacre because the Lord had warned them ahead of time to flee. So when they saw... Titus coming into the city and say, hey, come on into the city and celebrate Passover. The Christians just fled and ran away. So they were delivered, right? But the, the point of the matter is here, this is just a proximal fulfillment, but there's something more that the Lord talks about. And that he says, for then there will be, verse 21 says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Here the Lord then points out to the distal fulfillment of this prophecy, there's going to be someone like Titus, but someone much worse, right? And then it's the abomination and desolation uh, that's mentioned in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place, meaning that there's going to be someone much worse than Titus, that's going to be standing in the temple and he's going to be called the abomination and uh, desolation. And the Lord then quotes the book of Daniel. And we'll get there soon why the Lord brings us back to the book of Daniel. But, so having all of this, right, the Lord answers his first part of his question. Then they asked, when is the end of the age going to come? Then the Lord goes on to answer the second part of their question, right? So you had first the question of, when is the temple going to be destroyed? So the Lord answers that and says it's going to be ha- happening pretty soon. And it actually did, 40 years later. But then they ask the second part of the question, when is the end of the age? And then the Lord gives us a very clear indication of what is going to happen. He said in verse 32, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So, in the Bible, the fig tree always refers to Israel, right? So here is a little story uh, that connects to the other question that the disciples had. In 70 AD, the, the, uh, as if the tree was chopped down, right? Israel, uh, Jerusalem was burned down. The people of Israel were scattered. Ever since 70 AD, Jews are scattered throughout the world, right? So 
So that's why, you know, New York City today, you have, you know, I don't know, six million, I think six million Jews. You have uh, Jews in Europe, and remember in the Holocaust, probably six million of them were killed in, in Europe. And there are actually some Jews that actually ended up in China, in Kaifeng, right? They actually used a Chinese calligraphy pen to write Hebrew, and they upheld a lot of the, of the traditions. But anyway, since 70 AD, they've been scattered throughout the world, right? But then the disciples asked the question, so when is the end of age going to come? Then the Lord says, verse 32, it says, Now learn from the parable of the fig tree, as if the tree was chopped down, but then somehow this tree is going to come to life again, and its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know summer is near. Now, does anyone know when Israel actually became a nation again? 1948. 1948. Exactly right. So, here the Lord says, you know, how do you know that summer is near? You know that the, the, the tree, the fig tree has put forth its leaves. But not only that, right? So what happened when that city was destroyed? So not only did the people of Israel lose their nation, they also lost their city, Jerusalem. The people were scattered, and the temple was also destroyed, right? So what happened in the 20th century? The first thing was, in 1948, the nation of Israel was reestablished. No one believed that it could have happened, right? No nation has ever disappeared for so long and reappeared. And not only that, not, never has there been a nation that spoke a certain language and not to have spoken it for so long and then come back and still... So Hebrew is actually spoken today. So that's the first part. But also, what, does everyone know what happened in 1967? There was this... What happened in 1967? Jerusalem came back. The city was restored, right? I said, they lost the nation, the city Jerusalem, the people were scattered, and the temple, right? So, they got the city back in 1967. In 1990, what happened in 1990? The Iron Curtain came down, right? You know, East Germany and West Germany, the walls came down, Soviet Union collapsed, and then what happened? All these Jews started to come back to Israel. So people came back in, uh, from, from Moscow. People came back from Ethiopia. Came, came back from all over the place. So the people started to come back. And the final thing is, today you don't see the temple, right? But one day, the abomination of desolation is going to be standing in the temple. So somehow the temple needs to be rebuilt. So that's the fourth piece. But anyway, so now you know that it's 1948. It wasn't too long ago, right? It was probably 60 years ago. 1967, not too long ago. 1990, not too long ago. So that's the first clue that tells us that we are in the end times. The Lord said, this is the end of the age. But that's not just it, right? There's another portion in the Gospel of Luke. It's the same passage, and it will give us another hint. Luke 21. Luke 21 and verse 29. Luke 21 and verse 29. 
Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Now what's the difference between this portion and the portion of Matthew? Did anyone notice? What did it say? Matthew talked about the fig tree, but what does it, this talk about? All the trees. So there must be not just the fig tree that comes back to life, but it's also all the trees, right? Then you know that the end is near. Okay, so then what we need to do is go back to the Bible and see if there is some evidence of some tree being chopped down and then somehow then coming back to life, right? So I take you back to the book of Daniel. Now, I'm sure we all remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, right? It's one of my favorite uh, you know, stories in the Bible, probably partly because I'm in Daniel, but... Uh, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4. Um, and verse uh, verse 4 I, I Nebuchadnezzar was at ease in my house and flourishing my palace I saw a dream and it made me fearful and these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me uh, verse 7 then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and I released the dream to them but they could not make its interpretation known to me but finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and whom is a little, uh, is a spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him, saying, um, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen, along with this interpretation. Now these are the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field fell shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in the branches, etc., etc. And then, um, verse 14, He shouted out and spoke as follows. This was an angel. It says, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip of its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts and the grass of the earth. And then verse 16. This is very important. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him, etc., etc. And then Daniel goes on to interpret uh, the dream. And it says, um, uh, verse 20, The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose sight and reach to the sky, was, was beautiful. Verse 22, It is you, O king, for you have become strong. And then, so he goes on to explain that that tree was Nebuchadnezzar. He became proud and God was not happy with him, 
And so he went crazy, right? He, he then started eating grass like the beast. His nails grew long. He you know, looked like a beast, right? But the, the thing about this is, remember, and what was the prophecy? Verse 16, it says, and let seven periods of time pass over him. And do you remember the story of Daniel where he had this vision of this, uh, where Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of this statue? And this is in Daniel chapter 2. And that statue uh, had the head of gold and then the, the breast of silver, uh, the, the, the thighs, the belly and thighs of bronze, and then the legs of iron. And then Daniel went on to say, that you are that gold head. So you are also, you also speak about the whole empire of Babylon. Okay? So we know that Nebuchadnezzar, on the one hand, he is the, 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 the fiercest emperor of Babylon, but he also speaks of the nation of Babylon, or the empire of Babylon. So it's interesting here that, Remember, we read earlier about a tree being cut down, right? About a tree putting forth its leaves. That was the fig tree. In Luke, it also talked about all the other trees. But here we read, here is a big tree represented by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He was chopped down, right? For seven years, he was that chopped down tree. But then later on, he came back to life and he regained his sanity. So here we see a tree that speaks about uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, but it also speaks about Babylon, right? So what should it re, uh, what should it tell us is that when the Lord said a tree that's been cut down, and then all the other trees come back and put forth its leaves, you know that the end is near. So it should tell you that the nation of Babylon which actually went into history in 539 B.C., somehow is going to rear its head, ugly head again, right? And what does the Bible say? How long is it going to take? It's going to take seven periods. So for Nebuchadnezzar, it was seven years. But for the nation of Babylon, if you look at the Bible and you calculate... Us, um, sorry... If you look at the Bible and you calculate the, the number of days per year, it's 360 days, right? Our calendar days is 300, our, our normal calendar is 365 days. But if you take biblical years and you look at the number of days, it's 360 days. So if you take 7 times 360, what is that? Come on. You guys taking SAT soon, come on. 7 times... 7 times 360, what is that? 2520. 2520. So, in the mind of God, it took 2520 days for Nebuchadnezzar to regain his sanity. But, in biblical terms, if you think about it, um, uh, and uh, in prophetic terms, uh, 2520 years should mean something, right? So, when, what, what did I say? When did the, the, the Babylonian Empire fall? 539 B.C. Okay. If you add 2,520 years, what do you get? 539 B.C. And you take 2,520 years. 
Now let me give you a hint. What happened in 539 BC? The Persian Empire defeated Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Babylonian Empire is nothing but modern-day Iraq. And the uh, Persian Empire is nothing but the modern-day Iran. Okay? Now, in 539, and actually Daniel talks about it. Remember the son of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar? Remember he saw some writing on the wall and then, you know, and then he says your nation is going to be gone. Well, so that happened in 539 BC, okay? Did anyone figure out yet? 539 plus 2520, what do you get? 1981. Does anybody remember what happened in 1981? Anybody remember what happened? Well, you guys, most of you weren't born. I mean, come on. You guys are so young. Born born in 90. Okay, 1981 was the start of the Iraq-Iran War. Okay? So, 2,520 years later, 2,520 years before, you had Babylon and Persia. Persia defeated Babylon. 2,520 years later, you saw the Iraq and Iran War. Ever since 1981, Iraq has been very much in the news story. In 1990, uh, and then most, more recently, Iran has also come up on, on the news story. Um, so, you see, not just Israel being restored, but Iraq rising from the ashes from the Babylonian Empire. Prophesied in the Bible. Okay? So now, this is just the start of the story, right? So the Lord tells us, when do we know we're in the end times? You have 1948, Israel came back to life. 1981, Iraq came back to life. Babylon came back to life. Okay? But that's just part of the story. So this is where um, we want to put all of this in perspective. Okay, all right. So you talk about Israel coming back. Okay, great. Um, and then, you know, Babylon coming back to... Okay, great. But how do you link it all together? So this is where we need to go back into the book of Daniel and look carefully at that Daniel chapter 2 that we talked about. Okay? So what does that have to do with anything? So if you read in Daniel chapter 2, and this is where we'll go into details, it says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So, you know the story, right? They couldn't tell him what, what, he, what he dreamt about. And, um, uh, and then, uh, um, and then verse, uh, verse 16. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the, to the king. Actually, that, that was kind of a crazy request, right? Tell me my, what my dream was. I forgot what it was. You know, tell me what it is and then interpret it. But anyway. Uh, <clears throat> and then verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Verse 19. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, says. Uh, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, um, okay. Verse. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Okay. Verse 31, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, 
That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continue looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then it says, this is the interpretation, verse 36, verse 37. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And then verse, uh, and then verse 38. And whatever the sons of men or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you than another kingdom of bronze, which all rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. And as much as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Uh, and then in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will in itself endure forever. Um, so anyway, so you here see this story, this vision of this statue, right? And actually, you, you have a you have a picture of it in the handout, right? So you see that the head is made of gold, the breast is made of silver. The belly and the thigh is made of bronze. The legs are made of iron. And the feet are partly of iron and partly of clay. And then Daniel goes on to explain that after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire that he ruled over, there will be other uh, nations, the empires that would arise. And, and true, true and behold, uh, lo and behold, is exactly what happened. After the Babylonian Empire, the Persians, the Medo-Persians defeated Babylonian Empire and took over and reigned for a period of time. And then after that, the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great defeated the Persians, right? So you had the Greek Empire reigning for a period of, the t of time. And then after the, the, the Greek Empire came the Roman Empire that defeated uh, the Greek Empire and ruled for a period of time. So there you have the four uh, different uh, metals, right? So, but if you look at the statue, right, it looks really great, right? And remember what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar did right after the dream? He then went out and built this whole statue made of gold, right? Because he wanted his empire to last forever. Remember, he wanted everyone to bow because he couldn't stand it that he was just a gold head. But anyway, uh, so, so this, is, this is the story. 
But if you look at that, that statue, that's from the perspective of the king, right? It's gold, it's silver, it's brass, it's, it's iron, right? But if you're not the emperor, or if you're not the one that's ruling, and you're the one that's actually being ruled over, you're not going to think about him as gold, silver, bronze, or, or iron. You're going to think about him something not in not-so-nice terms, right? Because you know how those rulers are, right? They're pretty brutal. So we see another vision, right? In Daniel chapter 7. Now this is very much a parallel of chapter 2. But now this is the perspective from Daniel. And do you remember what the people of Israel were doing in Babylon? What happened? Why were they in Babylon? They were captive, right? Remember, the, they had lost everything and they were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took all of the, the, the riches from the temple and brought the people of Israel to Babylon. So here Daniel was, the one that was ruled over, right? By this vicious emperor, right? And from his perspective, or from the, peop- from the perspective of the people of Israel, there was another vision, which is verse, chapter 7. And uh, in verse 2, it says, Daniel said, I was looking at my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and had the wings of an eagle, and, um, and then, uh, but the face of a man. And then verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth. And it says, Arise, devour much meat. And the third one, third beast, it was the leopard. It actually had four heads and four wings, like a bird. And then the fourth beast, after this, verse 7, After this I kept looking in the visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, had a large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then I was contemplating the, the horns. Behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this storm possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and mouth uttering great boasts. And then, what happened in verse 9? I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. Uh, so on and so forth. And I kept on looking. Uh, and be, uh, uh, So, anyway, uh, 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 verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like of a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, etc., etc., and then it says, verse 14, And to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom. And of course, this is a prophecy of our Lord, right? Um, <clears throat> um, but anyway, so here in chapter 7, you see four beasts. And you see the parallel, right? You first had the statue, gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron and clay. And then what happened? This huge mass of stone came struck at the feet. And this whole statue collapsed, right? And that was the fifth nation, which became a, a huge mountain. Actually, it speaks about the Lord and about His kingdom and how it came and destroyed the statue. The same thing you see here, four beasts 
And then you see the Ancient of Days coming and destroying the, the, the four empire. So if you look at this, um, this story and how the Lord alludes to the book of Daniel, it should help you put some things into perspective. So what was it that Daniel saw? What was it that he was pointing forth? Was that um, if you look at this world, there is a world history, right? And from the perspective of the, the best years of world history is all encompassed in this great big statue. In other words, I said earlier, gold, silver, bronze, and, and iron, right? These are probably the most sought-after things of man, right? This, this, these are the metals and speaks of the glory of man. So all the best things that you can think about are represented by this great statue. But this great statue also speaks about the history of mankind and all its glory. And what is it that's going to happen, right? So we know that starting from the Babylonian Empire, then there's going to come a, a uh, Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, then uh, the Roman Empire, and then the legs, and then the feet. And then that huge stone is going to come and crush the feet, and it's going to destroy all, the, all that is the glory of man, right? So this should remind you, right? I already mentioned earlier, in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the battle of the ages. So the picture that Daniel saw was the battle of the ages. And it's going to come to a conclusion. So when the disciples asked the Lord, when is that end going to come? When is that conclusion going to come? The Lord brought very clearly and showed and demonstrated and spoke about the two trees, right? About the fig tree and then also all the other trees. And we already spoke about Babylon coming back. So somehow you see the end, right, that we talked about, right, um, is somehow connected to those trees. And this is where we want to link it together and start looking at a little bit of the history and trace whether it is so, whether everything happened according to this image, right? So if you look at this page that, that I gave out, the first page, right? You, so what, who, head of gold is mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, verse 32. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Gold was a, a fitting symbol for Babylon. Uh, actually, <clears throat> Uh, uh, it, the historian Herodotus describes the golden image of Marduk seated upon a golden throne before a golden table and a golden altar. So gold uh, was, was, was a good representation of, of Babylon. So I already said, in 539 BC, the Persians came and defeated Babylon. But it was not just the Persians. Actually, the Medo-Persian Empire, which went from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. And the two, uh, the arms of silver are, on the one hand is the Medo side, and the other hand are the Persians. Actually, the Medes, um, if you follow the recent Iraq war, the Medes are no, none other than the Kurds. Remember, we you know the, how we talk about the Iraq war? They also talk about the Kurds, right? The Kurds are none other than the Medes, right? So, the Medo-Persian Empire was a dual kingdom, right? Uh, Cyrus of Persia welded the elements of the two kingdoms together. The two arms of the image were thus a fitting symbol for the power. Silver was also used as an adornment by Persian warriors. It was also the metal of their monetary system. So now you see we come to the Persian Empire. 
And then the belly and thigh of breasts represent Greece, 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. Uh, Medo-Persia was succeeded by Greece, the kingdom of brass or bronze. Uh, this was the Macedonia or Hellenistic Empire of Alexander the Great. Uh, he, defe- uh, he defeated the Persians in 331 B.C. Um, uh, bronze was used in the body armor, battle axes, and spear tips. Now, the, uh, on, the, on the right-hand side, you have the, the, the statue. On the left-hand side, you have the corresponding beast, right? Interestingly enough, the beast that, the leopard that represents the Greek Empire actually had four heads because after Alexander the Great died, the kingdom was divided into four parts, okay? So that's four heads. We're gonna, it, it's going to come back. We're going to talk about those four heads a little later. So then we talk about the legs of iron. This is where the book of Daniel says this fourth kingdom was probably more fierce than any of the other kingdoms. And the beast that was spoken of actually destroyed the rest of the beast, right? So this kingdom is probably the most, the fiercest, the most vicious, right? And, and, um, and how they dealt with their enemies and how they dealt with... Um, both the people of Israel and also as Christians. And why do I say that? So, the Roman Empire was formed in 168 B.C. Uh, and uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, it says, The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, as iron breaks in pieces and subdueth, subdueth all things. Um, and the Roman Empire lasted from that period of time through the time of the Lord, right? And what happened? During the time during the time that uh, the Roman Empire reigned, remember we said that the temple was plundered, right? The the, the people of Israel were were you know uh, 1.1 million people were killed. Should remind you of the Holocaust, right? Uh, 1.1 million people were killed inside Jerusalem. The people were scattered under Titus. Not only that, under the Roman Empire there was a Roman emperor called Nero, right? If you use uh, um, if you're into computers, there was this Nero burner, right? And uh, the reason, does anyone know why it's called the Nero burner? Because uh, people say that Nero was actually drunk one day and he actually set Rome on fire and burned down his own city, right? And of course, after he realized what he did, you know, he, in order to face the wrath of his people, he started to blame it on Christians. And that's when Christians started to be persecuted. So after Nero, Christians started to be persecuted. Now you see the beastly part coming out, right? Nero was a vicious person. He actually killed his own mother because he felt that his mother was going to promote somebody else to be emperor. It was rumored that he poisoned his brother-in-law to death. And not only that, it was also spoken of that... um, what he would have these galas and dinners and parties. And, and I said that he persecuted Christians, right? And in order to light the party, he would burn Christians at the stake to light up the, the party. So he was a vicious, vicious man. So this was what uh, Rome spoke of, the Roman Empire spoke of. So this uh, Roman Empire continued until 476 AD. Now, you must wonder, right? We said the Medo-Persian Empire, we talked about the two arms, right? The Mede side and then the Persian side. 
the iron legs, which is spoken of by this fourth empire, the Roman Empire, actually had a had two legs, right? So how do you explain the two legs? So if you read in history, there was actually a Western Roman Empire and an Eastern Roman Empire, right? The Western Roman Empire started where I already talked about, right? It started with Julius Caesar and then Caesar Augustus. And, you know, if you read Shakespeare, you know all the story that happened, right? So that, that's where the Western Roman Empire started. In 476 AD, the Western Roman Empire, the Roman Empire as we knew it, kind of went away, okay? But in, in about 900, uh, 960 AD, the Holy Roman Empire is, essentially was supposedly the restart of the Western Roman Empire. If you look at the territories that the Holy Roman Empire occupied, and I won't go into the details, it's very much along the same lines as the Roman Empire. This continued, and we're just talking about the Ro- Western Roman Empire, right? This continued until um, uh, about 1806, and this was near during the French, the French Revolution, right? And what happened was the, the, the empire then ceased to be ex- exist in its, its, its current form. However, there were a, a few families that, that survived, and uh, they continued as the Austrian-Hungary uh, Empire, and they continued until 1918, okay? So that's an important date. At the same time that the Holy Roman Empire was pretty prominent, there was another empire, the Prussian Empire. I don't know if you guys study the world history, but this should probably ring a bell. At least the name Prussia should remind, you know, ring a bell. They ruled from about 1500 to 1900. But the interesting thing about the Prussian Empire, if you look at the territory that it occupied, it was a little further to the east. But all of the territory is, is probably the territory of Western Europe today. Okay, So think about France, Italy, all those places, Germany. And the last two emperors of Prussia, one was called uh, Kaiser Wilhelm I, and the second one was Kaiser Wilhelm II. Now, Kaiser is nothing but the German version of the word Caesar, okay? So you see the Roman Empire, the Caesar, the first Caesars in the early uh, uh, first century, but the last two were Kaiser the first and Kaiser the second. Kaiser the second abdicated in 1918, okay? Just want to remind you, remind you of the date. End of World War I was actually a significant date for all of this that we're talking about. So here you see the Western Roman Empire. And then there was also the Eastern Roman Empire. You probably remember of a person named Constantine, right? He is a pretty famous guy. You probably read it somewhere in the world history. But anyway, he decided that he wanted to create a second Rome, right? And he moved his uh, capital to a city called that he named Constantinople, which today is Istanbul, right? So there he formed the Eastern Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire. If you, if you read, you know, now, like, hopefully history is coming to life, right? But the important thing is the Byzantine Empire continued from 330 AD until four, 1453. What happened in 1453? The Ottoman Empire came about. What was the Ottoman Empire? It's also called the Turkish Empire. It's also called the Islamic Empire. Okay, now this is where it gets interesting, right? This is where the the Islamic nation started to come to power in 1453 and they ruled until 1923. So Osama bin Laden, when he 
uh, on September 11th, he said, for 80 years, we have, fu- we have never been able to reach our enemies. And today, we have successfully reached the enemy territory. What he meant was, Osama bin Laden was longing for the days where the Ottoman Empire ruled, right? 80 years later, right? About 80 years later, on, on t- uh, 2000, uh, 2001, September 11th happened. So in Osama bin Laden's mind, he hopes that the Islamic nations will once again become Ottoman Empire and rule the world. So anyway, so it also ended in 1923. Interesting thing is that the, the, the first uh, emperor that defeated the Byzantine Empire, his name was Mehmed. And he called himself Kaiser Irum. Again, Kaiser is, again, Caesar, right? Not only that, so from a territory standpoint, if you look at the territory of the Ottoman Empire and the Byzantine Empire, and then you look at uh, the territory of the Western Roman Empire, the territories are all the territories occupied by the Roman Empire. But not only that, um, the, uh, because this, this is the Byzantine Empire, which is towards, towards the east, right? There was also the, the, the Russians, right, and the Tsar family, that ultimately kept that name Tsar. Tsar is nothing but Slavic for Caesar again. Okay, And the last, uh, um, and I won't go into the details, but somehow they inherited the name Tsar, and they also ended in 1918. So the last Tsar abdicated in 1918. So why do I talk about 1918? Because here you see the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, and then the two legs, and then what happens? Then you have the feet of iron and clay, right? So what I'm pointing out is when we reach the bottom of the legs, it's 1918. So what are the, what are the feet, right? Iron and clay. So what happened in the 20th century? After, you know, you, you had the Industrial Revolution and then you had the rise of the new powers, right? United States, Great Britain, right? And... What is the U.S. all about? Democracy, freedom. It's all about man being the center. Um, it's no longer just about autocracy or a monarch or a dictator, right? It's all about freedom, right? So you see, that's where it's represented by clay, right? Clay speaks of man, right? It's brittle instead of iron, right? So remember, in the late 20th century, um, uh, you had two superpowers, right? Who were the two superpowers? Soviet Union, United States, right? You see, the iron-fisted Soviet Union, China, East Germany, and then you also had, you know, U.S., West Germany, Japan, mixture of iron and clay, right? So, what I'm trying to point out is, we are at the end times, right? We're really at the end times. And then what happens ultimately is the ten toes, right? And this is where it went, and this, remember, that huge stone came and struck the feet of the, of the big statue. So what I wanted to point out is, we are at the end times, okay? So this should be very clear to us, that the feet is the story of the 20th century, and who knows for how much longer. So, um, this, so, so this brings us to, to, to this point, where, um, then we come to the book of Revelation, right? And um, 
I already said that. The Lord mentioned about this abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel, right? I said that in the book, of, in, in, um, the proximal fulfillment was Titus, right? He was brutal. He killed the Jews, right? But there's going to be someone that's going to come that's much worse than, uh, than, than Titus. And that's the Antichrist. And that's what's spoken of in the book of Revelation. So why, why is it all relevant? Um, so who is this Antichrist? And what does the Bible talk about him? So, um, uh, I already spoke to you that there's this battle of the ages, right? So, we already went through world history in 10 minutes, right? And Babylon all the way to modern day history. But what's ultimately going to happen is that um, there's going to be a period of time, and also spoken of in the, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 9, and I don't have time to go into it, but there is another prophecy where Daniel talks about a period of 70 times 70 years, 490 years. It talks about that as being the summary of this history of Israel. Okay, So he divides it up into two. One is 69 times 7 and one is 1 times 7. Right? It says, in, in Daniel chapter 9, is from the day that <clears throat> okay, so Daniel 9.25 says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So there was an issue and a decree for the people of Israel to go back, right, to, to Israel and rebuild, rebuild the temple. Okay? And this is also spoken of, uh, and uh, this is in the book of... Uh, uh, This is uh, this is uh, by the um, the emperor. Um, anyway, so anyway, there's there's a Persian emperor, emperor that sends the people of Israel back to rebuild the temple, and Cyrus. That's right, Cyrus. And it says from that day until the day that Messiah is cut off is going to be 69 times seven years, 483 years. Anyway, if you do a calculation. It comes to, to about 30, 31, 33 A.D. So that's when the Messiah was going to be cut off. But that was the start of the dispensation, dispensation of the gospel, right? So we have the church, the church years, basically. And what it also talks about in Daniel chapter 9 is that there's going to be a final seven years, and that's the end of everything, right? So the seven years of, are the seven years of the tribulation, which we talk about. So I, on page 2... And uh, again, page two, here is a diagram that talks about the, the, the history of mankind, okay? And there's a lot of information on, on this page. There's actually two diagrams that actually speak about the same thing, right? But they're from two different perspectives. The first perspective is from God's perspective, Right? So this is very positive, right? This is the, the realm of heaven, and the bottom is the realm of earth, right? So, uh, <clears throat> so what, what does this talk about? It talks about um, um, 
the Lord's coming, right? So we all know that the Lord came, right? And, um, and then after he died and he rose from the dead, in Acts chapter 1, it talks about how he leaves this earth, right? And I think it's important that, that we, we get to this point. Um, uh, that we read that verse in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. <clears throat> okay. After he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So, the, these two men basically told the disciples, the same way that you saw the Lord leave is the same way he's going to return. So, we know that when the Lord ascended into heaven, two, um, there were two parts to his departure. One was, the disciples saw him go up to the clouds, right? And then the clouds kind of took him. So, they couldn't see what happened after the clouds. But we do know that the Lord went to, from the clouds to the throne. So you see that the Lord, when he left, there were two parts. There was the visible part and then there was an invisible part, right? So these two men said, the same way you saw him leave is the same way he's going to return. So you'll see that when the Lord left, there was two parts. One was visible, then was invisible. When he returns, there was one part that's going to be invisible and then another part that's visible. That's why in the Bible... We read the portion of the scripture that said, you, hear, you see that the, the Son of Man is going to, you know that the Lord is going to return like a thief in the night, right? No thief is going to announce when he's coming, right? Because then it defeats the purpose, right? He's going to come when you don't expect it. And um, the thief doesn't come to collect your trash, right? He comes for the best stuff, right? So we know that there's one part of the Lord's coming that's going to be invisible and silent and he's going to come just like a thief in the night and he's going to snatch the best stuff away. Okay? So this is spoken of the rapture, right? So the first part of the Lord's coming is invisible. Then the Bible also talks about him, his coming and the trumpet being sounded. Everybody's going to see him. Everybody's going to know he's coming, right? So you see that there's two parts to his return. Um, and then... I won't go into the details, but there's a lot of verses that I actually quote to, to talk about this. But basically, this talks about what happens in the end times, right? So the Lord is going to, um, before, and again, there are many ways to interpret this, right? There's many schools of interpretation. I'm just sharing with you from what I've read from the Bible, and I've shared with you all the verses of what I interpret the Bible to talk about. Important thing is that we need to be alert and sober, right? So if, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But this is my, uh, what I've received from the Lord is that what's going to happen is before the tribulation, the overcomers spoken of in Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are going to go first. And then what's going to happen, these are, these are the first fruits and they're going to receive the Messiah back to this earth. So they're going to be the welcoming party for the Lord. And 
this is the the secret part, right? This is where the 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 best are snatched away. They're going to be raptured to the throne, right? And then they're going to come back. And uh, the Bible talks about there's going to be, and this is in Revelation chapter 12. There's going to be war between the angels of God and Satan, and then they're going to clear the way for the Messiah to come back. And because um, they have to clear the way, there's no longer a place found for for Satan and his angels in the outer space. Then they're going to be cast to the earth, right? Think about it. Today, there's a lot of tribulation already in the world, right? But imagine if Satan and his angels are all cast out physically onto this earth. That's the start of tribulation. So if you look at the the timeline, right? So when that happens, the tribulation is going to start. And... uh, uh, and then after the tribulation, there's going to be a, a rapture of the remainder of the saints. And there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And then after the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be the millennium, the thousand years. And the overcomers are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years, right? So there's all the verses that you can go home and read, right? But what I want to draw the parallel is that at the same time, you look at the whole, uh, the bottom picture speaks about it from the perspective of the world, of the earth. And what's going to happen? This is where all the terrible things are going to happen. You have the seven seals, then you have the seven trumpets, and then the seven bowls. And, and then all of the activity that happens in, in the book of Revelation are going to happen. Uh, you know, and this is how it maps up against the, the timeline. So I said that that last seven years, right, is the tribulation. You have the first three and a half years. And then you have the second half of the seven years, which is the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And many things happen during those seven years. So anything that you can imagine, right? There, it talks about comets hitting the earth. It talks, about, um, it talks about meteorites hitting the earth. It talks about, in Book of Revelation, it's all there, right? It talks about how a third of mankind is going to be killed by three weapons of mass destruction. And it's all in there. Trust me, it's there. And if you think about it, that's like two billion people, right? It's all spoken in the book of Revelation. So it's going to be very terrible. It's it's horrible. And just to help you, I've given you page three. So page three basically is essentially the structure of the whole book of Revelation, right? And uh, you know the number seven is really, really, speaks about perfection. And if you want to like kind of figure out the whole book of Revelation, just think about it in the seven septets. In other words, there's seven sevens in the book of Revelation. It, spoke, it speaks about the seven churches, the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven bowls, seven dooms, seven scenes, right? So if you read through this, it should open up the whole book of Revelation. But what I wanted to point out is, especially as it relates to the seven seals, trumpets, signs, bowls, dooms, scenes, is that if you read the seven seals, it starts from the time of our Lord's ascension. And it talks about the history of mankind. When it comes to the seventh seal, the seventh seal actually encompasses the, all of the seven trumpets. You follow what I'm saying? And then the seventh trumpet encompasses all of the seven signs. And the seven signs encompasses all of the seven bowls. And then the seven bowls encompasses all of the seven dooms. And the seven dooms then um, um, uh, encompasses the seven final scenes. So if you look at it from that perspective, you see that, you know, the, the last picture I show you, the seventh seal, right? It has in it 
the trumpets, the signs, the bowls, the dooms, the scenes, right? So it, from a time standpoint, it all gets scrunched up into that short period of time. But anyway, I don't have time to go into this, but uh, my time is up, and I had a lot more to share, so uh, unfortunately, we don't have time. But my point is this. We are at the end times, right? And the, the, the important thing is, if you read the book of Revelation, all that we see happening around us is relevant to what we talked about, right? And I asked, what does Iraq have to do with anything? Remember, Babylon was the gold head, right? But actually, Babylon started much earlier. If you remember in Genesis chapter 10, it talks about the Tower of Babel, right? Babel is nothing but Babylon. It's the same word, right? But Babel was the first time that man said, let's be as good as God and let's build up something and, and into heaven, right? So you see the battle of the ages, right? It started with ba- Babel. It continued through the Babylonian Empire and through the ages. So why is it significant that Babylon is going to rise up again, right? Iraq is going to rise up again. is because uh, from Babylon comes forth all the things that not just from a... Um, everything that is bad comes from Babylon. Religion and everything that... Uh, that uh, 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 you, you can think of that as of the world starts emanates from Babylon. So if you read in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, again, we don't have time. Revelation 18 actually talks about Babylon again becoming a financial capital of the world. If, you, if anybody knows Dubai, right? If you see Dubai, it's very developed, very prominent. But I personally feel that the recent Iraq war was to set up so that Babylon can again become a financial capital of the world. Ultimately, it gets destroyed and the people of the world lament over it. But the point of the matter is the Iraq war can then be put into perspective that it actually has, it's actually going to come back to life, right? And then not only that, I'm I'm, I'm just about to wrap up. Uh, If you look at all of the things that are happening in, in the countries we talked about, Libya, Egypt, Syria, all these nations were part of the Ottoman Empire. They were part of the Holy Roman Empire. So what's going to happen in the end of times is that all of these nations are going to rise up again. It speaks about all the trees. Now, I'm just going to read one more portion of the scriptures and the beast, right, that we talked about, which is the Antichrist. So we'll read just one more portion. I just wanted to show you... Uh, um, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is and is not and will not will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Rome is known as a city of seven hills, okay? And the fact that it's also coming out of the sea, if you look at the, the Roman Empire, in its center is the Mediterranean Sea. All of those nations are surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. So the beast comes out of that area. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the mountain sits. And they are seven kings, father fallen, etc., etc. And then uh, the important thing is... Uh, uh, sorry. 
what I meant to read was uh, chapter 13. Sorry, chapter 13. Bear with me. Uh, chapter 13, it says, Then I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten whores and seven heads. And then verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And uh, uh, and here it talks about him having seven heads and ten diamonds diadems, right? So, what does it have? What does the beast have? He, he, he was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like a lion. You see, it encompasses all of the other beasts, right? And not only that, it has seven heads. If you want to count the heads, the head of the lion is one, head of the bear is two, the leopard has four heads, right? Six heads, plus the head of the last beast. So, what's going to happen in the end? The all the nations are going to rise up again and they're going to come and fight against the Lord, right? So it speaks about the battle of the ages where these nations are going to rise up and this final beast, right, the Antichrist, is going to be a culmination of all the worst of all of the empires in history and they're going to rise up and they're going to um, uh, uh, rule during the time of tribulation. They're going to behead Christians, they're going to kill Jews, right? The battle of the ages, until the Lord comes back and his feet stand on Mount of Olives. And then he's going to deliver the Christians, but also he's going to deliver his earthly people as well and set up his, his kingdom. But there's going to be an earthly compartment and a heavenly compartment. So I don't have time to go into all of that. It's all in the handout that I gave you. Uh, so the, the point of the matter is... Um, we read early in First Thessalonians chapter five that the Lord has not, um, that God has not uh, um, uh, set us up for wrath, but that we may be saved. So the important thing is all that we heard this weekend to be alert, to be sober. And you'll hear uh, when you go upstairs and you listen to Ezra and Helen share, they're going to talk about redeeming your time. All of this is relevant. So we know that we're in the end times. We need to be sober. Okay, so sorry I ran out of time, but um, hopefully this is a help. And hopefully you can spend some time, read the book of Daniel, read the book of Revelation, read Matthew 24 and 25. And, uh, you know, hopefully all of this will become clear. So why don't we just quickly conclude with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for these words. Lord, forgive us for not being able to express the riches of your word. But we pray that your Holy Spirit may continue to speak to us to know that we are in the end times and that we need to be sober and that you're coming as soon. Lord, teach us to be wise, to abide in you, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we may be like the five wise virgins. Lord, that we may have oil left in our lamp when you return. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.